0: the engagement, the scriptures say dismissing her quietly and sending her away. But Joseph is inconvenienced in this situation by his own sense of compassion and ethics. He knew that Mary's prospects for marriage would be very slim outside of him and that she stood in real danger of forever being labeled as an adulteress. And he knew that Mary's child stood in real danger of never being allowed to fully participate in Jewish religious life as a result. Deuteronomy 23.2 states, No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Without Joseph... Mary and her unborn child would be ripe for the picking among those that seem to be there in every society, preying on the most vulnerable. Make no mistake, Mary and Jesus' future depended on Joseph's decision about how he would respond to a child that was not biologically his. What is a good man to do? I want to stop and draw a parallel for you today as it pertains to vulnerable and orphaned children in Alabama. Whether we realize it or not, our state is making the decision to dismiss a large number of foster children quietly. Quite simply, Alabama's financial commitment to foster children has not kept pace with the need to serve these children. Consider that our leadership team visited a few years ago with our sister agency of the South Georgia Conference in Macon, Georgia. Consider that the state of Georgia reimburses their home at a rate of $108 per day per child. Meanwhile, the state of Alabama only reimburses our agency at a rate of $11.80 a day for these same children. This shifts the majority of the financial burden for caring for our children to our agency, which we are able to do, thanks be to God, with your help. So what's the problem? The problem is that this quiet dismissing has serious implications beyond just our agency's bottom line. These days, there's a huge push from the federal government to economically discourage states from utilizing group homes like the ones that we offer and use foster families instead. We support foster care, we offer foster care, and while we agree that in the ideal situation foster families should be the first option for placing children, there's a problem with the strategy. There aren't nearly enough foster homes for all of Alabama's foster children, which means that some children are at risk of being left in dangerous circumstances within their homes when they should be placed with agencies like ours, even if it is in a shelter or a group home. But the greater issue is that there has never been, nor will there ever be, enough foster families for the teenage foster population. Rare and precious is the foster family that will take in a teenager. So if you're a teenager that has not been reunified with your family or adopted by another family, chances are a group home is your only other option. And without reasonable reimbursement to properly care for these young people, many group homes, especially those that are not denominationally affiliated like we are, are having to close their doors at an alarming rate. Where will these kids go? What's going to happen to them? We can't be sure, but I know this. The same forces of darkness that were waiting in the shadows for a pregnant teenage girl in first century Palestine are there waiting for them. Human traffickers, drug traffickers, and gangs. These kids are being dismissed quietly. But returning to the text, we find hope, because we see that Joseph has a dream. An angel of the Lord appears and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We all need to pay close attention to something that often gets overlooked in this familiar passage. The tendency is to focus on the details of how Jesus was conceived and miss something very important the angel is communicating. Notice how the angel addresses Joseph. Joseph, son of David. That's vitally important. The angel is essentially saying, Joseph, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're a descendant of David, a man after God's own heart. The descendant of a man with great courage who overcame much, loved much, was forgiven much. Remember Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite? How would a descendant of David, the greatest king in Israel's history, respond to this situation? In my office in Montgomery... Leather-bound ledgers contain the names of the oldest recorded residents in our agency's history, dating back to September of 1890 when Charles Ebsworth Moore was the first orphan admitted to the Alabama Methodist Orphanage. And the first entry of one particular ledger dates back to October 17, 1907, when a 10-year-old girl named Lucille, came into our care. The record suggests that Lucille's family had moved from Austin, Texas, to Limestone County in northern Alabama. Her mother had died, and her father, Benjamin, needing to work and without any extended family support to care for Lucille, placed her with us. He agreed to pay $5 per month for her care. The record indicates that he was reunited with Lucille almost a year later, on October 8, 1908. Now, there are many details that we don't know about Lucille and Benjamin, but I love to think about their story for several reasons. I love imagining the reunion between Lucille and Benjamin a year later, and the fulfillment of a promise made by a father to a daughter. It reminds me of God's promise to us in John 14, 3, when Christ said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Lucille and Benjamin remind all of us that we too have a great reunion in our future. But I love this story most of all because it reminds all of us of who we are. It makes me extremely proud to be numbered among the people called Methodists. Our Wesleyan heritage of sharing the love of Christ by meeting real social needs is abundantly clear in this story. When our country's great needs have overwhelmed society's capacity to deal with them, the United Methodist Church has always been there. Through our hospitals, through our universities, through our homes for the aging, through our United Methodist Children's Homes. The church has always been there, using its powerful connection to punch holes in the world's darkness. Joseph, son of David. I'd like to think that Joseph went over and over those words in his mind in the days that followed his dream. I'd also like to think that perhaps, just perhaps, he thought back to a well-known story in the first book of Samuel as he wrestled with his decision about Mary and her child. You see, as a descendant of David, Joseph would have been well-versed in the story of David's anointing in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You remember that story? Samuel receives a word from the Lord to go to Bethlehem. To anoint one of Jesse's sons as the new king. Jesse presents the oldest and most kingly looking of his sons first. Samuel was impressed with the appearance and the stature of Jesse's oldest. But the Lord rebukes Samuel. He says, Do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks. Heart. Samuel takes the Lord's word to heart and rejects all the sons Jesse presents. He even has to ask, are these all the sons that you have? Only David was left, left. the youngest, the least of his brothers, not even initially considered as king material by his father. David is summoned from tending sheep in the fields. Samuel anoints him. And David becomes the greatest leader in Israel's history. What a great story. Fast forward many years later, and I'd like to think that perhaps, just perhaps, God's words to Samuel were running through Joseph's mind in a slightly different form as he wrestled with his decision about Mary and her child. Joseph, son of David, Do not consider the circumstances of his birth. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I can never hear the story of David's anointing without thinking of Aaron. Aaron's story is the first story I heard when I came to our United Methodist Children's Home. Aaron lived in our Tuscaloosa group home for about four years. And when Aaron was just a toddler, his parents left him for several days alone in their home while they went off on a drug and alcohol binge. He was left at home with a dog, a very large and aggressive dog. Both Aaron and the dog grew hungry and the dog attacked Aaron's sole diaper. And as a result of that incident, Aaron was left permanently disfigured. That was the first story I heard. And after hearing that story, my immediate internal response came in the form of some pretty difficult questions. Questions like, how do you believe in the concept of a loving Heavenly Father that wants nothing but the best for you? When your earthly father neglects you like that, how do you grow to be a person of faith? I have a confession to make. I tried unsuccessfully to answer those questions for many months through mere theological honor. It was only when I saw the overwhelming generosity of our United Methodist churches through my first White Christmas campaign that I had my answer. And that answer is you. You. People like you or how a child like Aaron can come to believe in a loving heavenly father that loves him unconditionally. Through your gifts to the United Methodist Children's Home, people like you enable us to offer Christ to children like Aaron through a loving Christian home where they have hope. Joseph, son of David, remember who you are. And thanks be to God, Joseph does just that. He accepts responsibility for Jesus as his son, even though he had no legal obligation to do so. The Christmas miracle that God set in motion meets its first guardians through a couple willing to bear a shame and responsibility that really wasn't theirs to bear. And thanks be to God, their willingness to do so allows us to lay claim to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christmas story means different things to different people. But at the most basic level, it teaches us what taking responsibility for vulnerable children can mean to the world. It teaches us that there is no other cause we can support that is more central to who we are as the church than caring for orphaned and vulnerable children. We hold up a once vulnerable and adopted child as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I leave you this morning with a few questions. Will you, like Joseph, continue your 104-year tradition of taking responsibility for our children, even though you have no legal obligation to do so? Will you continue accepting our children, children like Lucille and Aaron, just as Joseph accepted Jesus, even though you had no part in the misfortunes and hardships of their lives? Will you continue taking them as your own to name and protect? I pray that you will. I want to close by leaving you with words you've perhaps heard me say before in years past at your beautiful white Christmas concerts. They're from the late Frank Pittman, an Alabama-grown family physician and noted author. Pittman once wrote, As I've lived my life as a man, I've learned the secrets of happiness. I pass them on to my kids and I pass them on to you. Forgive your parents. Join the team. Find some work and play to do. Get a partner to do it with. Keep it equal. And raise children wherever you find them. Raise children wherever you find them. It's what a poor couple in Nazareth did over 2,000 years ago, and it forever changed the course of human history. It's what the United Methodist Children's Home has been doing for 128 years with your help and 104 of them. I hope you'll continue joining us in raising children wherever we find them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.